Well, Toby is going to um, now bring God's word, but I thought just before he does, I would ask him a few awkward, uh, simple questions just to find out a little bit who he is, because you don't know him from Adam, and until I met him just this morning, neither did I. So, Toby, do come and join me. I hope you've got the uh, headphones on or whatever you've got there. I think I'm, oh, there we go. Yeah, I'm good to go. Right, could you introduce yourself? Give us your name, uh, where you come from, and what you do for a living. Oh, where, uh, my name's Toby, or Tobias, I don't mind which. Um, I am from Bedford originally, and I work for Compassion full-time, and I used to be a teacher. Used to be a teacher, okay. So what did you teach? What was your subject? Uh, I was mostly a music teacher, but I taught business studies as well. Okay. Uh, can you play piano? Uh, not well. Oh, shame. <laughs> and um, what was your instrument then? Uh, I was a drummer first. Oh, right. We haven't... Well, they're still there. <laughs> There's always a chance at the end. And um, uh, how long were you in teaching? Uh, seven years or so. And where, where was that? Where did you teach? I taught uh, at the Regis School in Bognor, which is where I live now. And um, I taught in Durrington High School in Worthing as well, mostly. Okay, right. And um, was that a pleasant experience? Was it a busy, active, very wealthy school full of Porsche kids? Um, no. Uh, there was uh, mostly, there, you know, you had your first split, but it was, uh, you know, classic sort of state school, you know, uh, deprived areas mostly. Okay. That was what and the fun what, is. what, um, what, what language did you have to learn to, to teach in that school? <laughs> well, you didn't have to learn, but I did learn some Polish um, badly to help with some of the kids. Okay. And so uh, just uh, a year ago, you were drawn to work for Compassion UK. Mm-hmm. What was it that brought you into this work in the first case? Oh, you're going to spoil my sermon. That's, uh, that's oh, right. Uh, okay. Well, uh, that's good. Well, I'm not going <laughs> to eat your sandwich, I'm going to say. I'll not take your thunder away. Okay. Uh, so, um, but you've been doing that for about a year now. Mm-hmm. Since and last August, just yeah. Just an idea as to what, what a daily routine or a weekly routine might be. Are you, do, you, do you go around lots of churches or what? Yeah, so most churches I'll be um, out doing this kind of thing. So uh, I'm out all of May. Um, but I try and still serve in my home church as well. Um, over the course of the week, I'll mostly be trying to kind of meet church leaders and just, you know, arrange the Sundays in the first place. And uh, I do get to travel a bit as well. Um, where, where's your home church? Where, where are you living at the moment? Uh, in Bognor Regis, so in Bognor. Um, okay. uh, Grace Church. Let's just pray for Toby before he brings God's word. Loving Heavenly Father, we praise you for the work of Compassion UK and for drawing Toby into this ministry. Open our hearts and minds now and Fill us with compassion, but with inspiration. Anoint him by your Holy Spirit as he brings your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Roy. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you for um, everyone who I've met so far. I feel very welcome. Uh, And it's always nice. Sometimes you turn up and uh, there's no one there. You're just kind of wandering around a church building uh, for a while trying to find the next person or... uh, um, you know, you don't know where you're going, or, or worse still, you don't know any of the songs, and I knew the songs, so that's good, that's always uh, enough to uh, help me <laughs> work out where I am and what I'm doing that morning. Um, so as Roy said, uh, my name is Toby, or Tobias, um, I must admit it's usually Toby, um, Tobias, I sort of think of my mum shouting at me for not cleaning my bedroom, so uh, maybe I, I tend to go with that. Um, I'm originally from Bedford, has anyone ever been there? To Bedford, I'm so sorry. Um, that you had to go there. uh, I moved away and decided not to go back. Um, 
for, for many reasons, really. Um, I grew up uh, as a, a split home, so I lived with my dad and my mum separately. Um, and uh, particularly on my mum's side, I wouldn't call uh, our upbringing well-off. Um, not that I was in abject poverty by any stretch of the imagination, certainly not compared to uh, some of the children that I've seen uh, you know, in the last couple of years. But um, did anyone have, or still have, those... Did we have these little cardboard things we had to buy from the post office to get your electricity from. Did anyone ever have those? Oh, it, it was awful. <laughs> it's a terrible system. You might have, a, like, a USB stick now. That's probably what you have now. But um, back then, uh, you have to run to the post office and buy, like, a £5 card, and you'd run home and you'd, like, punch it in this kind of machine on the wall near the boiler, and you'd get, like, £5 worth of electricity. Um, we had to do that uh, once or twice, having an unwanted uh, candlelit dinner, unfortunately, when we had forgotten to get the emergency supply. Um, but talking of, uh, so, you know, as three boys, you know, as a twin and, and my older brother, you know, we, we're not loving having, you know, how are we going to play the computer when, uh, you know, we, we haven't got any electricity? It's a nightmare. Um, but we, um, <clears throat> I used to be a teacher, as, as we commented there, and I taught for seven years, and I really enjoyed working with, uh, I would say, more difficult uh, teenagers. That was really what I enjoyed um, for, for many reasons, really, but largely because I was that child when I was younger. I wasn't the most well-behaved by uh, any stretch. Um, but last year, I decided, uh, sorry, 2017, oh, it's two years ago now, um, I decided to do a bike ride for Compassion because my church were involved with Compassion. I thought, yes, yeah, this is a good enough charity, why not? Um, and so I cycled from John O'Groats to Bognor Regis, which is 800 miles, um, which is a pain in the bum, quite literally. Um, when you sit on a bike saddle for that long. And, um, and as part of that whole thing, we raised loads of money for the church and, and for the unit that we were helping with. And as part of that, they said to me, would you like to go and meet your sponsored child? Would you like to go out and meet her as a kind of thank you for everything you've done? And the church were going as a group. And I thought, why not? Um, so let's see if we can, there we go. As you can see on the left there, I did get to meet her. There she is. It's me and her. Um, is there anyone here that sponsors a child with compassion already, like in the room already? Yeah, loads of hands going up. So before I do anything else, I want to say a massive thank you to all of you, not just because I work for compassion and I am, you know, by contract obliged to say thank you to you. Um, I, I mean... Having gone and met her, it is one of the most amazing experiences that you can do anyway. Um, but also, it made the whole thing real to me. This wasn't just this name on a, on a page that uh, I was kind of writing these sort of, like a pen pal when I was a kid, that's what we called it. Um, it wasn't just this random name on a page, it was a real little girl. And she's seven years old, I'll tell you more about her later, but I got to take her out to this little kind of water park thing, somewhere between Thorpe Park and Chessington and a fair, I suppose, somewhere, some amalgamation of all those things. Um, and I, I just got to, you know, spoil her for the day, really. Her and her mum were there and her care worker. Um, and she was, she was like, oh, can I go on that? I was like, yeah, just do what you want, you know, do whatever. And she just had the best time and, and I did too. Um, and of course, it wasn't all about that. I got to meet her parents and things and I'll um, show you some photos and things of that later on. Um, but it was a really, really wonderful experience and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so that's me. That's how I got involved with Compassion. Um, after I got back from that trip, I was like, well, I've got to do this full time. 
And it's a lot better at shouting than teenagers. So let's, <laughs> you know, let's go with this. Um, so I decided to make that change and, um, and, you know, started working for Compassion. Now, there's something else you need to know about me. And it's no surprise that we used that passage this morning um, because I absolutely love having people around for dinner. That's my, one of my favourite things to do. Um, got any uh, foodies here? People like, yeah, cooking? Uh, mate, yeah, um, I bet there are. I bet there's some great cooks. Oh, I meant to show you this. Yes, this was me uh, visiting her. Um, no, one of my absolute favourite things to do is have people round for dinner. I am firmly of the belief that there is no meal on the planet that cannot be improved with either bacon, cheese or pastry. I challenge you to think of anything that cannot be improved by one of those three ingredients. In fact, if you just take those three ingredients, you're left with a bacon cheese twist from Greg's, which is a wonderful thing. So, you know, it's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. You have a chicken Caesar salad, put a bit of bacon on it, and look what, you, you know, that's just improved it amazingly well. So, love to have people around. Um, I think it's good to manage expectations, though when people come round. Um, I don't know about you, but... <laughs> yeah, by all means come round, but I do have to get up in the morning. Um, and now, I don't know about you, but I, I love to have people round, but you know, maybe I get an invite to go to somebody else's house and, some, and somehow this becomes quite a stressful experience. I'll tell you why. Someone invites me round, I've immediately got some questions. If you're inviting me around for seven o'clock, what time am I actually going to eat? Do I need to eat beforehand, really? Do I need a five o'clock snack? Because um, if, if I'm going around yours for seven and you haven't even started cutting the veg yet, alarm bells are going. Are we going to be eating at nine o'clock? Because that's crazy. Because, you know, I'm leaving. Um, maybe, um, what time is it considered acceptable to leave? When do I outstay my welcome? Maybe we're having a great time. I look at the time, I've realised it's 11 o'clock. I'm thinking, oh, if you're at my house, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and I never thought I'd have to ask this, but will you as a host be eating with us? You think, well, obviously they would be. You'd think that, wouldn't you? I went round somebody's house, I said, come round for dinner, bring your wife, it'll be great. And they sat and watched us eat. That's weird, isn't it? I'm sat there like this, she's like, how's it going? I'm like, yes, yeah, lovely, thanks. You're going to sit down or what are we doing here? It's weird. Um, and also, will you be cooking a quiche? Because if you are, I'm not coming. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a Christian thing, isn't it? Have you ever... Well, yeah, but with those three ingredients, you could make a Greg's twist. So why would you make a quiche? <laughs> Although I suppose a quiche would be improved with more bacon. Um, and obviously the question, do I need to bring anything? That's a good one, isn't it? We always ask that. Uh, oh, come round for that. Oh, just yourselves, because we're so holy. That's what we say. Actually, what we mean is bring dessert. Um, and will the food be any good? I'm not saying I'm a food snob but I have good grounds. My mum, for all her wonderful things, was a terrible cook. Um, she would make what we affectionately knew as mince and pasta. Do not mistake that for bolognese. It is mince with nothing in it and pasta. <laughs> nothing else. Ketchup was the only way you could make that meal okay. I love her, really. Uh, when I tell her that and I 
I said, is it all right if I tell all these strangers that you're a terrible cook? She said, fine, but make sure you tell them that at least it was homemade. I wish it wasn't. Um, so if, if all these thoughts are running through your head, and they certainly run through mine, um, and if someone tells me they've decided to make a quiche, well, suddenly my alarm bells are going, I'm thinking, oh, I agreed to this two months ago, and now I'm not so sure I want to come. Well, then I would call you a Christian bail, a Christian who bails on previous arrangements. Um, and maybe you're like one of these people in this story that we heard earlier. Um, he, the host of the banquet, has put on this huge dinner party, and suddenly all these people have decided they don't want to come anymore. Um, now, in Jewish culture, or in any culture really, I think it's rude to suddenly, you know, if, if I've started cooking for you and I get a text saying, sorry, I can't make it, that's a bit annoying. I've probably bought all the food or I've prepped it or I've taken time out of my day to go and get that ready. So it's rude at the best of the times. But I wonder, I think it's more rude if you've RSVP'd several months in advance. If you got a wedding invite, for example, and you RSVP'd and you said, yes, I'll come, and then the morning or the evening before the reception or before the ceremony, yeah, yeah, sorry, I can't make it. That'd be rubbish, wouldn't it? And if you were certainly a valued guest to this party, you'd be really, you know, the, the host would be really disappointed that you weren't there. And in the Jewish culture, it wasn't, wasn't just disappointing, it was exceptionally rude to do that. It was rude to turn down the invitation anyway, let alone turn it down sort of in the last minute. Now, what we hear in this story is we have these three excuses, which I don't think are particularly good, and I'll tell you why. Um, but if we just jump, I'm going to read just bits of the passage. The first excuse is simply this. I have just bought a field, and I must inspect it. Well, I've got some questions here. Um, who buys a field and doesn't look at it first? That's my first question. Why have you bought it and then decided you need to look at it? That's crazy. Also, it would have been at night time. The meal would have been in, in, at dinner time. And I don't know if you have floodlights in first century Israel, but you're probably not going to see a whole lot in this field in front of you at, you know, 9 p.m. It's probably not, not going to help you. Um, but there is a parallel, I guess, with, um, that I would draw here with a kind of workaholic um, you know, because the field is there to represent their work and their livelihood, because uh, they were mostly farmers and, and agriculture workers of various kinds. So maybe you're one of those people who bails last minute because you've got work to do. I've got to check those emails. I've got a, when I was a teacher, I used, I used to do this. It's awful, isn't it? Oh, I've got a lesson to plan. That was my way to get out of things early. <laughs> like if I didn't want to stay till late, I was tired. Oh, yeah, I've got to plan a lesson. I'm not planning a lesson at nine o'clock at night. But anyway, um, and so maybe, maybe uh, that's you this morning. Maybe you're the kind of person that uh, is drawn to work and uh, you miss out on, on good stuff because you're too busy working. Um, excuse number two, I have just bought five oxen and I want to try them out. Well... I don't know about you, but I'm not buying a car without seeing it at least first. Once again, who buys something like oxen, which would have been integral to their livelihoods, without looking at them first? It's a, it's a poor excuse. Um, and, you know, I, I bought a car fairly recently, and I had to make a monumental effort to go and see it. I had to cycle quite a distance, um, and it triggered all these horrible memories of cycling across the country. I was like, Ugh. Um, But... 
I had to make this huge effort because it was important that I saw the car first, or I tried it, I test drove it. They always say, don't they, uh, no one buys a car without a test drive. You know, it's, it's, it's exactly the same. And finally, the last excuse, I just got married, so I, I can't be there. I mean, maybe this is the most realistic excuse. Maybe like, oh, I need to spend time with my other half. Um, my wife, on the other hand, would be saying, I think you should go because she wants the house to herself. Um, but I can confirm, I, I, I'm pretty confident I know what's happened here, gents. I, I'm, what the, someone's agreed to go to something, but they've not checked the shared calendar. Got a shared calendar up in the kitchen. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, I, uh, someone invites me around somewhere or, or go to do something. Oh, Toby, do you want to pop around? Yeah, that's fine. I haven't looked at the shared calendar. And then that's when the fun begins on the Wednesday evening. I'm like, oh, I'm just off out to see whoever. My wife is like, it's a prayer meeting tonight. I'm like, oh, didn't check the shared calendar. That's what exactly what's happened here. Um, but the gentleman didn't check the shared calendar to find out he was about to get married, which was a pretty realistic, I would say. Um, fairly major date in the diary. Um, but even so, cancelling last minute is no good, and particularly if you've arranged to be somewhere or you want to, you know, you've been invited a long time ago. Now, why have I uh, just, just made fun of all these excuses? Well, I think what is important to remember is we are represented in the story, um, not hopefully as the people who've received an invitation from the person, but as the people who um, were willing to turn up. And I think we are represented here, and I'll explain why shortly, but I think because it's a parable, I'm sure you know this, but um, a parable is, is Jesus kind of representing God's kingdom in a simple story people will have understood. Now, in this story, my understanding of this story is that he is the person who has prepared the banquet. He says in heaven there'll be a banquet. So he's saying that he is inviting people in to his kingdom and that many people who get that invitation will say no. I'm not sure about the last time you invited someone to church, but I wonder... Did they say yes first time? I know the last person I invited to church didn't say yes. He had work to do, funnily enough. As it happens, he was busy. Um, you know, so they, th those two halves are represented in this story. But I think we are represented in this story as the servant. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are about how you, it sounds like you've got this community event stuff going on. So my impression is that as a church, that you are outward looking. Is that fair to say? You want to serve your community. Is that fair enough? I've just walked in here this morning. You know, I don't want to be presumptuous. Yeah, you're outward looking. You look to your community. And we, in that sense, are the people in between God and the people out there who are unaware of who he is. Now, these people in this story are listed as the blind, the lame, the poor. He says, just towards the end of the passage, it says, invite the poor, crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported there's still room for more. And the master said, go out to the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come in until my house is full. So we are the servants here. We, as the people who know our master, familiar with his commands, we are being told specifically, go. Go to the people, and but you know what? He could have put them in some heavenly Tupperware. He could have saved that meal for another day. But no, he says, I want my house to be full of all these people that maybe 
we wouldn't have expected to go to first. You know what? It says to go to the streets and look for them. That doesn't mean to necessarily go to the obvious. It says go look. Basically, he's saying look in every nook and cranny for the people that need Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I need Jesus, but so does everybody else. Is that fair enough? Are we okay with that? I hope so. <laughs> um, and... You know, I'm going to share a bit about compassion as this, as this service goes on. And I think that is one way that we do that. I'm not saying it's the only way. Um, I think compassion as a charity is a wonderful thing. Again, I'm not contractually obliged to say that. I think it, I work for them because I believe it to be true. It's God's work in action. We are the people between God and the people that need him. And we are called as his servants to do that. Now... The thing that I don't want to miss is the people that didn't turn up, the people that made the excuses, well, they missed out, didn't they? They missed out on what sounded like a pretty, pretty amazing evening, having his house full of people, having a great time, eating together, community. You know, all these things you guys are doing when you, you know, have bring people along to this event. We're having coffee and cake. We're going to do this thing or that thing. Great. And you know what, those people, maybe you invited someone and they didn't come and you thought, I had a great evening. They really missed out. Has anyone ever thought that? So invite someone along to something, you thought, oh, that was so good. I really wish they'd come. Or maybe there was a really good talk that morning. You think, oh, I really wish they had been there. Someone needed to hear that this morning. Maybe that's you today. But we are called as God's servants to do something about it. He didn't sit there in his house say to his servant oh no one's no one can come and the servant sit there and go that's a shame or worse still can you go and find these people on the street and he goes nah my shift's over in 10 minutes he didn't do that did he he went out to find these people it says in proverbs do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is your power to act do not say to your neighbor come back tomorrow and i'll give it to you when you already have it with you You know, we all have the power to do something to help those who need it. And compassion is all about that. You know, compassion, as much as anything, I consider it a verb. It's a doing. It's a thing. Let me explain to you what I mean. Um, The word compassion isn't just feeling bad for something or showing kind of empathy, I suppose. Um, It's doing. In the story of the Good Samaritan... Um, there's many translations say that the Samaritan had compassion on the man that was attacked. Um, now, what it doesn't say is he felt bad for him and walked on. Because actually, that's the earlier part of the passage, isn't it? I assume we all know the Good Samaritan story where three people um, walk straight past this person who was attacked. Sorry, two people. And then the last person actually goes to help him. And the phrase that's used just beforehand is he had compassion on him. In fact, compassion is a word often used with Jesus. It says in Matthew 20, verse 32, it says, Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and they immediately regained their sight. Does it say moved with feeling bad, Jesus kind of said, oh, that's sad. You know, isn't poverty a bit like that? You know, if I told you that 400 million children are in poverty right now, I wonder how that makes you feel. I tell you how it makes me feel. It makes me feel a bit bad. Oh, I don't really do much for that. Or even if I could, what would I do? 400 million. It's a huge number. 
But compassion is about the doing. Compassion is followed by a doing. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd. He felt compassion for them. Does the, passage, the sentence end there? No, it doesn't. It moves on. He says, and healed their sick. Because compassion is a doing. And that's no surprise that our charity is, is named after that doing of stuff. Originally, compassion had, is, it has interesting roots, actually, the word compassion, uh, which I always find funny. Um, the, the word compassion actually means kind of moved in your, in your innermost being. I suppose we might say uh, something like we're moved in our hearts to do something or, or, or something like that, maybe. And um, strangely enough, back in the culture of those days, the heart wasn't the emotional center of a person like we would think of it today. Because I might say to my wife, I love you with all my heart. Um, but they wouldn't have said that. Um, they actually thought the emotional center of a person was in the bowels. So you might say, I love you with all my bowels, which is, is not so nice. Um, does change some songs up, doesn't it? Don't break my, out, don't break my bowels, my achy-breaky bowels. It's not quite so. Unbreak my bowels. It's not quite so good, is it? Um, you can do that later. Start replacing heart with bowels in love songs and see how you get on. It's quite a fun game. But um, what I'm trying to say is it's, um, we use the phrase now, uh, I had a feeling in my gut. Have you ever had that? Or a gut feeling? I just had to do something because I had a gut feeling. I didn't want to go that way. I had to go a different way because I had a gut feeling. Has anyone ever had that? The kind of, yeah, I'm seeing some nods. That's kind of where it comes from. And that is where the phrase compassion is kind of derived from, is this feeling of, I, I must do something. It's, it's a must do, not a, a kind of guilty thing. Because um, guilt is actually a bit short-term, isn't it? You know what? If someone had invited me for this dinner and I felt guilty, I probably still wouldn't turn up. I'd just feel bad that I didn't. But if I felt compassion towards that person, I might say, you know what? I'm going to scrap my previous arrangements and I'm going to do something about it. Does that make sense? Are we all with me still? Good. Getting a, a nod and a mm. Now, finally, I just want to, just before I segue, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you this morning. I'm going to try and, maybe I'm going to be a little bit controversial. I don't know. We'll see. Um, when, when I think about, we pray for the poor, don't we? We pray for them all the time. Well, I'd, I'd hope we do. And I wonder, maybe you pray and you think, God, why are you, why are you ignoring our prayers? Why are you not doing what we've prayed for? Has everyone ever felt like that? Let's be real this morning. We've, yeah? God, why are you ignoring the poor? in our prayers. Well, I wonder, have you ever thought that maybe you are? I'm going to let that sit for a second. Maybe actually you need to go do something. Prayer without action. You know what? I think we need God to do everything, of course. We can pray and we pray and we pray, and I'm not saying we don't pray, but I think there comes a point where we need to do something. So I wonder maybe if that's you this morning. Now, as I move into the work of compassion, I've got a few more minutes. Um, and I think the best way to do this is to show you a video testimony of one, a child who was sponsored through, through compassion. Uh, he introduces himself much better than I ever could. Um, and he's going to tell you a little bit about kind of where he's from and, and what he does and uh, what his life was like and what it's like now. So I hope we're going to show you this video and uh, we'll go from there. When I was eight years old, my father 
was taken away from us. And by that I mean he was murdered. Nothing was the same for me. News began to come to our doorstep. From our landlord, we got word that we couldn't stay in the house that we stayed anymore because we couldn't afford it. My mother had no job. My father was the only breadwinner. We moved from where we stayed to a place called Naguru Kasenke, which is one of Uganda's largest slums. And then I was introduced to our new home, which was a 12 by 12 room. I looked up on the roof. It was a tin roof that had holes in it. I've been to places where when it rains, people are happy. They get excited. But for me growing up, whenever it rained, that was a night that we would stay standing. Get little buckets, place just where the holes in the roof are, and wait until morning. A reality hit me that day. This was life. I remember when my mom said to us, there was no money for food. That ushered us into a place where we were now going to begin to go to the street to fend for food. Hunger began to set in, lack of water. I was a kid, I, I didn't have time to be a child anymore. As I lived like this on a daily basis, poverty began to speak to me as a child. I felt I was nothing. I didn't matter. Nobody cared to know my name. I think the best way I could describe who I was and what I thought is the word hopeless. My mother, in tears, uh, approached one of her friends just to share with her friend. And her friend shared with her about compassion. Compassion staff members immediately came to our home. Uh, I remember them coming with uh, just uh, files to, to, to get details of who we were, what our story was. I got the news that a young lady, Heather, she was 15 years old, a teenager. She had decided to sponsor me. I cannot find the words to describe the joy that filled our home when we got the news. Richmond, you've got a sponsor, which means you can now go back to school. It means food will be given to us because of you. I began to walk into that reality that ushered in me an opportunity to rekindle this hope that was taken away. Heather began to write to me, to hear words like, Richmond, I love you. Richmond, I'm praying for you. They began to bring healing into places that were destroyed by voices and poverty and my self-image. I remember my day, June the 3rd, 1996. I walked forward to accept the Lord Jesus in my heart. I began to feel, wow, I have been released from poverty. I have been released. God began to continue to grow the leadership within me. And then I felt fully called to pursue pastoral ministry. I began the Pastors Discipleship Network, a ministry that exists to train and equip pastors. And I spend a lot of my life 
training and equipping pastors in the Word of God. Looking back into my life and thinking where I am right now and what I'm doing, I don't think any of this would have been possible without compassion. Compassion works. Everything that was placed within the program has helped build me to who I am right now. Poverty is not just the lack of money, the lack of material, food and water. Poverty is in. It's deep. I credit a lot of how I feel now about myself to those letters that I received from my sponsor. My name is Richmond Wandera, and I was released from poverty in Jesus' name. Pretty powerful testimony, isn't it? Um, so as I, I'm just going to come in to close. I know I'm going to go slightly over time, so I'm going to look apologetically at Roy. Um, uh, I hope I won't go on too much longer. Um, but, you know, if I've challenged you this morning and you're thinking, who's this guy coming in telling me I'm ignoring the poor with his jeans that are too tight and this random bloke that's turned up? You know what? Compassion is about doing, but it can be many things. Sponsoring a child is an amazing thing to do. For £25 a month, you can make a difference to a child's life like Richmond. His sponsor was 15 years old, a teenager. There's no age limit on this. You can do this, you know, at any time. And I appreciate that £25 a month for some people is genuinely a real challenge. And I get that. And if you can't do that, be blessed. Just, you know, I, no judgment from me at all. You know, I, I get it. £25 a month is a lot for some people. But for many of us, it's not. I want to say a huge thank you for those that do it. And I want to encourage you with a look at the difference it makes. Look at the difference it makes to Richmond. This is my sponsored child up on the wall. I got to meet her and she said, thank you for the gift you bought. Yes, I like it. Whenever uh, I, I like it when I'm at home, I do colouring. I always wear the dress because I love it. I'm happy that we can meet. I've got lots of happy memories together with you. Thank you for everything. I love you. I mean, this is a, a kid in the Philippines that lives in a little shack that's saying thank you for the, uh, the same amount of money, ultimately, that I spend on a, cost, a couple of Costa trips a month and a, few, a couple of paninis. You know, we're not talking great. And for the sake of that, this is worth it. Now, if you can't do this because it is genuinely too much, Maybe you can show compassion in another way. Maybe it's inviting someone to come to this, this event that you guys have on with this guy's amazing story. I've forgotten his name, sorry. Um, maybe it's um, helping in some, some community event that you guys are doing. Maybe your mission field is walking next door and inviting your neighbour around for a coffee and ministering to them. You know, that doesn't cost £25 a month. That costs a spoonful of instant but it's showing compassion for these people. And I want to, my challenge to you this morning isn't sponsor a child, although I think if you can, I think you should. And I want to encourage you to do that. And I'm going to be outside and I've got some profiles of some children with me. And if you want to do that, fantastic. But my challenge to you this morning is can you go from this place and genuinely show someone compassion? Can you do something this afternoon, tomorrow, over the week, for a work colleague, whatever it is, 
Now I encourage you to do that just as I finish up. So thank you so much for having me. I hope you feel challenged this morning um, to, to, to do that. And uh, I really look forward to having some, some great conversations out there over a coffee. Mine's white with no sugar, by the way, if you uh, feel like grabbing me one. So thank you very much. I'll hand back to Roy.